Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Zechariah chapter 4. And I think what we'll do, the first thing, is just read the whole chapter. There's only 14 verses, and then come back and, and talk about it. Uh, beginning with verse 1, it says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is waked, wakened out of his sleep. Evidently, Zechariah was in a very deep sleep, and he was wakened by the angel. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one on the right, upon the right side of the bowl, and the, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I, and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick, and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again, and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now this is a very wonderful portion of Scripture and a very important portion of Scripture. I want you to notice first, first of all, in verse 6, it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So evidently drawn from this vision is the fact that, and it's the only place I find it, that the oil is pictured as a symbolical of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the only place it's really explained that that's what it's talking about because you see the context that when he comes to verse 6, he says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I think it'd be well if we go back and look at uh, these things uh, as we begin in verse 1 and 2 and right on down. First of all, the angel in verse 1 awakened Zechariah to give him this vision. By the way, this is the seventh vision that we find. The golden candlestick, we'll call it, and the two olive trees. And this takes up the whole chapter. We said that there were ten visions, and we gave you 
the sixth one in our last lesson. And here's number seven, if you're marking them down in sequence. The golden candlesticks and the two olive, the golden candlestick and the two olive trees is the uh, title of this vision. And it covers the whole chapter, verses 1 through 14. Now then, if you notice verse 2, it says, He said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps there thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the uh, top thereof. Now let's stop there. You remember the uh, golden candlestick of the tabernacle. It was a seven branch. There was a central stem, central stem with one candlestick right on the top of that stem, and three branches on each side, making it a seven branch candlestick that you had in the tabernacle. And we have the uh, description of that in the book of Exodus, uh, and you can find it in the, uh, let's see, what chapter of Exodus? 25th, verse 31. And we won't go back and look at it, but I just wanted to get you, give you the picture of the original seven branch candlestick with central staff or stem. It had all kinds of carvings and knops and almond shapes and all different kinds of decorations, but there were basically, to the basic construction of it, there was one uh, oil cup in the top in the center staff and three on either side, making it a seven-branch candlestick. And that's what lighted the uh, tabernacle. Uh, and it went on this side of the, the tabernacle and the table of showbread on this side of the tabernacle. And by the way, our here's here's your lamp over here, and here's the uh, communion table over here. So, in a sense, we're in sequence of what the tabernacle would have been like if you came in, saw a table of showbread and the seven branch candlestick on this side. But to to uh, continue with our story, only the difference here is that this was a seven branch candlestick, but it had some additional things. It was there was a bowl on top of it, and out of this bowl, to each one of these candlesticks on the sides, the seven, there was a pipe that went to each one, a tube that went down to each one to furnish the oil. And instead of the like the priest in the tabernacle having to replenish the oil in each individual uh, cup of the seven branch candlestick in the tabernacle. Instead of that, there was a bowl up at the top, and it had these pipes that flowed down to each one of these cups on top of the uh, light-bearing candlestick. Uh, and it was furnished by the two trees, look, the two olive trees on either side that continually gave forth their oil into this bowl on the top, and it fed the, through these pipes the oil and it kept on consistently, and it replenished the oil on a continuous basis. Instead of the priest having to come in and, and put oil in each one of them to keep the light burning, well, this had a bowl on the top that continuously furnished the oil for the light of, these, of this seven-branched uh, candlestick. If you remember, in the tabernacle, the priest had to keep the oil replenished, and the light was not to go out. It was to be replenished constantly by the by the priest, so that I'm sure that so that the light didn't go out, they would do one side of it, probably the three branches, and then keep those uh, have those lighted because they'd have to 
to snuff out the light to replenish the oil, and then they would do the others, or however they did it, but there was to be light burning continually. And here, no priest is necessary. God miraculously and continuously keeps the light, keeps the oil flowing from these two olive trees on either side that had their branches hanging over this bowl at the top. And from this bowl, there were pipes that went down to each one of the... the uh, candlesticks or lights, lamps you might call them, to keep the light burning always miraculously. And this is symbolical of the Holy Spirit's uh, power to lighten uh, the light of God in different ages. And I, the reason I qualify that in different ages because Israel of old was His light bearing. This was a symbol of Israel being the light bearing uh, influence for God. During this day and age, what is it? It's the church that bears the light. Remember, the candlesticks are spoken of in the New Testament as the church. And so we bear the light now. But again, there's a future time when Israel will be the light-bearing time during the tribulation. Remember the chosen ones that are going to be the witnesses during the tribulation period? And then again, they will be nationally the light-bearing influence during that dark time of the tribulation period. So I want you to get the picture of what this looks like. Then we'll try to get into the lesson of it as we progress along. Uh, I think if you look at verse 2 and 3 again, you'll see the picture that we've been talking about. In verse 2, And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and the seven lamps thereon, and the seven pipes going down to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And the two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side uh, thereof. And it will describe how this is taken on down in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. We'll see how it's actually uh, used. But let's go on with our verse-by-verse commentary on this and see in verse 3. Uh, it says, And the two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side of the bowl. If you'll notice, first of all, in verse 2, you have the seven lamps and seven pipes and seven... Uh, and uh, down in verse uh, uh, 10, you have the seven eyes. Those seven, which they are the seven eyes of the Lord. Now then, if you want to refer that third seven that you have back to the previous chapter, look at verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. And we gave you the meaning of those seven eyes that show uh, the perfect intelligence of God. He sees and knows all things. But here in this fourth chapter, you have three sevens. Now, seven is a number of completion. It's a number of uh, perfection. It's a number of fullness, as is typified in this chapter by the three sevens. Seven, one seven speaks of perfection, completeness, and uh, also fullness. So when you have three, you have all these things. Completion, perfection, and fullness. Uh, and here it would be represent the fullness of God's Spirit enabled to do all things for us. Now, I want you to notice as we progress along, there's a lot of things we want to develop as we progress along, and I trust that it will become more meaningful as we go. But when you come to the 
uh, 6th verse, it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, when he, he says this, he's showing us that the all is symbolical of his spirit. Because he says this, this vision that you've seen, this is the word of the Lord, this is God's word, or God's message to Zerubbabel. And he's saying that simply this, and many preachers quote it, and we all should remember it, that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, saith the Lord of hosts. And it's a good text at any particular time. Whether it applies to you and I individually, we don't have any power to do very much in God's service, and not, not any might. The church is helpless apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Israel was helpless apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And even in the future, apart from that power, when we get to these two anointed ones, which means sons of all, that refer to a future time, they would be helpless had not, would not God in the future anoint them. Book of Revelation chapter 11, we touched upon it this morning in our Sunday school lesson, but just touched upon it. But I want you to see that in any age, in any time, whoever he is left here for a witness for him would be powerless apart from the Holy Spirit. And this oil is symbolical of the Holy Spirit. Now then, look at verse 7. It says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Now, remember, uh, the Gentile authority in Zerubbabel's day might seem like a great mountain, but any power uh, could not stand against the Spirit of God. And so he says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. He was speaking of uh, Israel's deliverance from Babylonian captivity and God's ability also through Zerubbabel to build the temple again. Remember the foundation had been laid. And he speaks in this chapter that it will be finished and that uh, all opposition would become a plain. And he says in verse 7, And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. The top stone would be brought forth uh, and crown the building, which uh, is finished by Zerubbabel. Remember in the last book where we studied the foundation was laid and was not complete. And so uh, Zechariah has the vision of what Zerubbabel will do in bringing about the finishing of this work. And he tells us also in verse uh, uh, verse uh, 8, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Verse 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, this temple. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. So he speaks of the fact that the foundation is laid, but by the power of the Spirit of God through Zerubbabel, uh, the, the uh, work would be finished. It would be completed. And even this great mountain that Babylon seemed like a mountain or any opposition that would seem like a mountain would become a plain and that he would be able to, to finish the work that he set out to do. And then Zechariah says, uh, you know, moreover, in verse 8, moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying, and then the last part, and thou shalt know, last part of verse 9, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you when the work was finished. So the first picture you have in this passage of Scripture of the power of the Holy Spirit is a finished work 
under Zerubbabel's power, I mean under Zerubbabel's direction, the Holy Spirit's power, I should have said, uh, to finish the work. God empowered him to do that. Now then, I want you to notice something else. In verse 10, it says, For who had despised the day of small things? Remember, they talked about how little it would be in the sight of God in comparison to the previous temple. Remember, that came up in the, in the other book that we studied. It said that it would be nothing in comparison to what we had seen before. So here, he says, Who had despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the seven... They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. The plummet of truth will come out and Zerubbabel will be the one that will finish the work that was uh, contracted to do or that would, said would be done. Now I want you to notice verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? So the question is asked uh, about the two olive trees. He's already explained what the... Uh, seven branch candlestick is all about and about how it's typical of the Holy Spirit. And he says, now what about these two olive trees that stand on the right side of the candlestick and on the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches which through... Now look, here's, here's the vision that, that he saw. He's explaining now how that uh, the oil is furnished. He says, which through the two golden pipes empty which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves. Now, he speaks of two evidently coming out of the bowl of the top. And it says, empty the golden oil. Actually, it's the oil into the golden bowl is what it represents. Out of themselves. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, Now, here's what is typical of what we're talking about now. Then Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The two anointed ones. Now, in the Old Testament, in Zechariah's day, these two anointed ones, we've already studied them, uh, could be no other than Zerubbabel, who was called upon to the prince. He was the prince that was to do the work. And Joshua, the high priest, that uh, that we also studied about, Remember Zerubbabel and Joshua? The civic leader, Zerubbabel, and the uh, religious leader, Joshua. And so in the Old Testament, it could be no other than these two. So in the Old Testament, here in this particular situation, you have the kingly and the priestly power of the testimony of God was to be maintained through them. And through these two, Joshua, the high priest, and through Zerubbabel, his kingly and priestly power would be maintained in that day and age through them. But then it has a future prospect. It speaks of two anointed ones that we find in the book of Revelation. That are these two olive trees that we find here. And so let's turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. And we can see that it speaks of a future time, as other things in Zechariah speak of. Revelation chapter 11. We talked about it a little bit this morning in Sunday school. Let's begin reading uh, with verse 1. It says, And there was given me a, a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Remember, Zerubbabel was to measure the temple of God, or Joshua the 
which one of them, one of them, there was a man with a measuring rod, was the Lord actually in verse, in chapter 2 of Zechariah, measure, with a measuring line in his hand. The Lord was measuring. And here in Revelation 11, hold your place in Revelation 11 for just a moment. There was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and uh, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Remember, there was a court of the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Now, forty-two months was the three and a half years. It's spoken of in another place as a time and times and a half a time. A time was a year. And times would be two years. And a half a time would be a half a year. A time and times and a half a time. So that would be three and a half years. Or 42 months. Or 360 days as it's spoken of in round terms. Using these as to indicate uh, three and a half years. Now then, it says in verse 3 now. Here we come to the olive trees and stuff. It says... And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. You have the three and a half years now in days. A thousand two hundred, a thousand two hundred and threescore days. I may have said wrong. What did I say before on days? I didn't mean. I'm not talking about that. That was wrong. It's a thousand, a thousand. Two hundred and threescore days. There may be a place that says three hundred sixty. I don't know. I believe there is, but uh, if it is, it's tip- typical. But anyway, these are the act- these are the actual times. But we'll, we won't worry with that because it's spoken of in in several different ways. But first of all, it's spoken of as a thousand two hundred and three score days, or it's spoken of as three and a half months, or forty. I mean, three and a half years, or forty and two months. All equal to the same thing. And if I made a mistake a little bit ago in trying to explain it, I apologize. But now, in verse 4, the important thing is this. It says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. This could be no other than the prophecy of Zechariah that we just read. There's not a place anywhere that you could find where he says this. Look in Zechariah again. Chapter uh, 4. And he said in verse 14, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Uh, back in verse 11, he says, what are these two olive trees? The two olive trees are the two anointed ones. Compare verse 11. You have Zechariah 4 verse 11 with uh, verse 14. And he comes to the conclusion that these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so here in Revelation 11, hold your place there now and we'll try to pick up some more things. So in verse 4, Revelation 11 verse 4, it says, these, are the, these two witnesses, verse 3, are represented by these two olive trees, verse 4, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now then, why does it say two candlesticks instead of one? You have two olive trees, but you only have one candlestick in Zechariah. But here you have two individual witnesses before the nation itself becomes a witness as a whole. And you get that later on when you have... Israel as a nation as a whole becoming a witness during the tribulation. So then it will be one candlestick, one witness, one light-bearing influence. But these two 
are the two are the two olive trees, and at this time in Revelation they bear individual witness, so it's spoken of as two candlesticks, because they are going to be individual light bearers at this particular time. Now, let's read concerning what they do. It says, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now then, we studied this morning on some of this. Verse 6 says, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now we said this morning that here's two witnesses that have the credentials of, listen, the spirit and the power of who? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. We gave you a reason this morning when we're studying in Second Peter how that he refers to the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration and there appeared with Jesus, Moses and Elias talking with him that spake of his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. We gave you the fact that, uh, that Peter is speaking of the power and coming again of the Lord, which has to do with this portion of Scripture in Revelation, because we know in Revelation 19, He comes in power and great glory. And someone says, well, these two had to be men that were not killed because it's appointed unto man once to die, and that would be Enoch and Elijah. But let me show you that. In the fourth chapter, there was a whole bunch that went up to heaven without dying. If you believe in the rapture, you believe that a lot of people are going to heaven without dying. Is he going to bring everyone that doesn't die back from heaven and make sure that they have a chance to die? Because of that one scripture says it's appointed and the man wants to die. And after this, the judgment in uh, Hebrews chapter 9. I pointed out one thing this morning in our Sunday school lesson. First of all, it's not appointed unto man only wants to die. Remember, there was one that was raised from the dead. Who was it? Lazarus? And we and he witnessed before others, and I'm sure that he didn't just disappear. That there came a time that he actually faced physical death. Though we're dealing most with his resurrection, so there's a man that I'm sure died more than once. He died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus come forth, and he'd been dead four days already. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes, and uh, we see that. It's not appointed unto all men only once to die. Because in that case, that would prove that Scripture. Now then, there's another thing that that Scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn to it and take your time but to do it, well, uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. There's another thing that's pointed out in that Scripture that is very important. That uh, most people that believe that that was Enoch and Elijah, Elijah in Revelation chapter 11, the most people that believe it holds your place in Hebrews 9. I'm trying to get this as fast as I can. But Hebrews 9. But most people that believe that is Enoch and Elijah is because those are the only two men that we find that were taken to heaven without dying. And they base the whole fact of those two witnesses that will appear to be Enoch and Elijah instead of Moses and Elijah on the fact that it says appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, because we know that these two witnesses in Revelation 11 were killed, and they lie dead in the street for three days, don't they? Three and a half days, is it? I'll get there in a little bit. And a lot of this is symbolical. But look at this scripture in Hebrews 9, and I want you to look how it, it reads. 
In verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. As it is appointed unto men once to die. Now then, when we get to the thought of the rapture, it's not appointed unto all men once to die. We said a little bit ago, not to die only once, but here, it's not appointed unto all men once to die. If it was appointed unto all men once to die, we'd have to die and we have to go up to heaven like all those that are dead in Christ. But the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes again, we're going to go to heaven without dying. That all that are living when Christ comes will be taken up to heaven and will be transformed, translated into God's presence. We will undergo a change, a divine change, but we will not uh, have to go to the grave, die and be buried, as all men ordinarily do. So you can see there's two exceptions in this verse of Scripture. Now, then, when we get back to uh, Revelation chapter 11, let's go on and read what happens, and then we'll come back and talk about these witnesses that are the two olive trees that Zechariah speaks of. And at that time, they're two candlesticks because they're individual light bearers. But let's go on and read in Revelation 11, verse 7. I mean, verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over the waters to turn them into blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they uh, shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the, in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, that's Jerusalem, which is not Sodom and Gomorrah, but which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt. Where also our Lord was crucified. We know where He's crucified in Jerusalem, wasn't He? So you see, there's a spiritual aspect of this. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. It was three and a half, wasn't it? And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets... They are prophets. They're the two olive trees. They're the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. They're the two witnesses that will prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon uh, them which saw them. So let's have to stop there for a moment. Now then, we've already tried this morning in our Sunday school, and some of you, I wish you were here when that happened, to identify these two witnesses because the, the most of the uh, prophetic school teaches that it was Enoch and Elijah because these are the only two men recorded in the Old Testament that did not die. And we already showed you the exception to the rule, didn't we? This exception to the rule of what? First of all, it's not appointed unto all men only once to die, because we proved that by Lazarus. And it's not appointed unto all men to die, in the sense that all will die, and none others will go to heaven without dying, because we know that we believe that there's going to be a rapture, and there's going to be people taken up to heaven and translated. So both of those aspects of that one scripture that's, that's the base or foundation for people believing, and your uh, 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 
interpretations of prophecy, believing, and men preaching every day that it's Enoch and Elijah, on that basis, you know, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And if that's the only foundation to identify these two witnesses in the book of Revelation as Enoch and Elijah, then it falls apart, doesn't it? Now, look at something else here. We see that they're definitely identified by their miraculous power. Look in verse 6. You have Revelation 11, verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Now, who had that power? Elijah. And look, in the last part of verse 6. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. Who had that power? Moses. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Moses. So you have the credentials, at least, of these two, Moses and Elijah. And someone says, well, how could Moses die twice? We've already said that someone else died twice. So if they could die twice, then Moses could die twice. But we already told you something else this morning. A a whole lot of things. First of all, that uh, what Peter said was that the Mount of Transfiguration was a preview of the power and coming again of Christ. When Peter's talking about it, he says, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And so on that Mount of Transfiguration, there appeared with Jesus, who? Moses and Enoch. No. Enoch and Elijah. No. Moses and Elijah. And if that was a preview of the second coming of Christ, then these two are the ones that are identified to Peter, at least. And he didn't have any problem with it. Why should the rest of us? He didn't have any problem with saying, well, you know, Moses died once and he can't die again. And you know, these two witnesses, I'm sure that he had more revelation than you and I do. They're going to die. And of course, John was the revelator. But Peter didn't have any problem with identifying these two as Moses and Elijah. But these two witnesses actually come in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. They come with the same credentials. And they are the two olive trees back in the book of Zechariah. The anointed ones that will come and witness during this particular time in the book of Revelation. And there's just too much scripture in favor of the identification of these two olive trees as Moses and Elijah, and it overwhelms anyone that's a student of the Bible uh, to uh, try to put in Enoch on that one basis of Hebrews 9, what is verse 26, or 28, whichever one it is, 27, probably, when I look back, it's probably the one right in between. Hebrews 9, let me turn back and make sure I give you the right verse. It's verse 27, isn't it? In between the two, that, so it's in verse 27. For this he did, no, uh, verse, uh, yeah, I don't even have the right chapter. No wonder I don't have the right verse. Uh, verse 27, that is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, I was looking in the seventh chapter, and I thought, what's wrong here? I thought I knew more about it than that. But anyway, the thing I want you to see is that, uh, that if you have any credentials of anyone here in the book of Revelation, it would have to be Moses and Elijah. And on the basis of that one scripture, you cannot come to a conclusion that you can build a whole doctrine or everything else is, uh, is uh, determined that all men are going to die and all men are only going to die once because uh, we can scripturally prove 
We can scripturally prove that that's not the case. That all men are not going to die. And that all men have not died only once. Because we have evidence that uh, one was raised from the dead. And though it doesn't say he died, I don't think that he would just taken up to heaven or it would have been mentioned. I don't think that Lazarus would have been uh, uh, one that would just be living till today. So there's a whole lot of questions come in mind. Let's be careful when we're looking at Scripture and not to come to some real solid conclusions until we study everything that's involved. And I think you would have to discard all that's said by Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, all that's said by Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I pointed out another point this morning in our Sunday school lesson where that it was said to Jesus before He comes, He says, well, will not, uh, will not uh, Elijah, doesn't it say that Elijah is going to come first? And you know what Jesus' answer was to them? He says, if you can receive it, if you understand it, Elijah has come already. And he was referring to John the Baptist. So even before we even deal with the future coming of Elijah, Jesus says he's come already. And what did he mean by that? That John the Baptist had come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he was the forerunner of Christ. So he refers to John the Baptist having already come. So if you're worrying about the Scripture having to be fulfilled that Elias must come first, Jesus gave us the answer to that. Well, I hope I didn't take you too fast. But anyway, there's a lot of interesting things. We'll take up with it in our next lesson the fifth chapter, and it will be the 30-foot flying roll. It's another vision. And it's the eighth one of these visions of Zechariah. Uh, in Zechariah, the fifth chapter, and we'll pick up there, the Lord willing, in our Wednesday night lesson. So prepare for that, and we'll go as far as we're able to go. And we thank you for your patience, your kind attention.